I invite you to James chapter 3 as we continue our study here on the tongue, uh, dynamics of the tongue, as I'm calling it. As we get started here this morning, I would like to read a short poem about the tongue. It gives some words of wisdom from different places and different groups of people. The boneless tongue, so small and weak, can crush and kill, declares the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater horde, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. The Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue, an early death, or sometimes takes this form instead, don't let your tongue cut off your head. The tongue can speak a word whose speed, say the Chinese, outstrips the steed. The Arab sages said in part, the tongue's great storehouse is the heart. From Hebrew was the maxim sprung, Thy feet should slip, but ne'er the tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole. Who keeps the tongue doth keep his soul. There's a lot of powerful wisdom packed in that little poem. It speaks a lot about the power of the tongue. We're thinking about the dynamics of the tongue as we find them here in James chapter 3. And I, I choose that title because... To me, it speaks and it reminds us of the tremendous power that is associated with that little part. Uh, The tongue is dynamic. The tongue has explosive force. You know, those words dynamic and dynamite are closely related. Uh, They're actually both from the same Greek root, dunamis. But the tongue is dynamic. The tongue has force similar to that of Dynamite, it's explosive, it's powerful, and yet it's such a small package. And in this passage, James writes some rather harsh words about our terrible tongue. He gives some very vivid descriptions that leave us wondering if we should ever say another word. And yet, his point is not to scare us speechless, (laughs) no. It's not to make us become discouraged. But his point is to help us recognize that tremendous power of the little part and with the help of God, use it in ways that minister love and life. Now, as we look at this passage, first glance, you may think that James really doesn't give answers for taming our tongue. I mean, it's so full of of terrible, troubling things, one after the other. And yet he certainly does give answers. And we will see in the closing verses of this chapter that the answer to taming our tongues is found in passionately pursuing the wisdom that is from above. Let us just quickly recap the first part of this message from a couple weeks ago. In verse 1, we noted that we must not be too quick to speak because one day we must give an account for the words that we say. Verse 2, we noted that an important gauge of our spiritual maturity is speech. It's our speech. In other words, how we use our tongue gives clear evidence of where we are spiritually. 
And then if you can consistently control your tongue, you can keep your whole body in check. If you can do the big things, then you can do the small things. Although sometimes the big things come in small packages. And then we noted three dynamics of the tongue in verses 3 through 6. The tongue directs. We noted the bit and the rudder. We noted the spark. The tongue destroys. The scripture says the the tongue is a fire and fire destroys. Fire is destructive by nature. And we noted that the tongue is depraved. It is a world of iniquity. And the source of the evil that flows from the carnal tongue is hell itself. That's what James says. Now, let us note verses 6 through 8. Follow along as I read. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on course, I'm sorry, and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We'll stop there for a moment. Moving on with dynamics of the tongue, we come to the tongue defiles. We find that in verse 6. The tongue defiles. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. Or the NIV says, it corrupts the whole person. Now, the Greek... Uh, there for defiles is to spot or to blacken. Think about it in that way. Uh, The tongue stains. The tongue pollutes. The tongue infects the whole person. Just like a fire defiles or pollutes or stains with its smoke. Now think about that just a bit. You don't have to be around a campfire very long at all, before you smell like smoke from head to foot. I mean, you are permeated. The other evening, our family built a little campfire, and it was one of those evenings that, you know, how it is in March, the wind just kind of, it was really blustery, and, and, and the smoke was just going, anytime you went to this side, then, it, you know, it, the smoke followed you around. And, and after not long, we went inside, and we stank. We all smelled like smoke. And, and I even noticed the next morning that we had our shoes outside. The next morning I went outside and our shoes smelled like smoke. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes in those situations, you can, even, you can even wash clothes that has been defiled by smoke, and yet you can still smell a little bit of smoke. Fire de- defiles with its smoke. Or think about uh, when you're maybe you're cleaned up nice and you maybe have dress clothes on and you go into an old gas station. You don't have to be in there long. You come back out and you stink. You smell like that old gas station. Or maybe a restaurant or maybe a pig farm. You name it. But people know where you've been. You're marked. In other words, you become marked by the environment that you spent time in. You can't hide. It follows with you. It infects all of you. Jesus spoke about this exact thing in Matthew 15. Turn back to that. Matthew chapter 15. And note several verses here. 
the tongue defiles. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10, And Jesus called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And move down to verse 15. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto, this, unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Jesus made it very clear. Out of the mouth are the things which defile a man. Those which proceed out of the mouth. Remember that the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. It reveals who you really are. You know, if we know someone who, who, you could say someone who has a lying tongue, we think of someone who has a lying tongue, and immediately we mark that person as a dishonest person because of their lying tongue. Or someone might have a dirty tongue, and we mark that person as a dirty person. You see, as the tongue speaks, so the man is. It's that kind of a relationship. But in a sense, it goes both ways. The tongue reveals who we really are, but the tongue also out of the heart, the tongue defiles the man as well. Think about this. Someone put it this way. An evil thought becomes a completed sin when it is spoken in words or reduced to an act. When sin is completed, it defiles the whole inner man. Our text here says, So is our tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. And as I read that, I know this is not exactly within the context, but I could not help but think about this in the context of the church body. The church body. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body. The carnal tongue of one member has the influential power to infect the whole body of believers, the whole congregation. I quote, it is bad to think ill, but it is much worse to speak it, for that implies consent to the evil thought and a willingness to infect others with it. I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote. We read it in Ephesians 4 verse 29. Here he's writing in the context of the whole body of believers, and he writes this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The tongue defiles. Moving along, 
the tongue determines. Once again, verse 6, our text says, It setteth on fire the course of nature. Or literally, our tongue ignites the whole course of our life. The tongue ignites the course of a person's life. Or you could say, the tongue sets, or it puts into gear, or it determines the course of a person's life. Now, the meaning here of determine is to bring about as a result. Have you ever considered that the words that you say determine or affect the future? The words that you say determine or affect the future. Think about it. Let's just say you went in for a job interview. And maybe there was four other guys that went for the same job We're looking for the same job, okay? So five of you went to be interviewed about this job. And and all of the applicants had the proper schooling. They all had the proper degrees. They all had experience. All of the applicants were well qualified. But there was something that you said in your interview that made a difference to the boss of that business, and you got the job. Something that you said made a difference and you got the job. You see, your words determined your future. Or men, hopefully you remember uh, that very scary moment when you asked your sweetheart, will you marry me? (laughs) I don't know how you said it. And at that moment, you were speaking words that would determine your future. Whether she said yes or whether she said no, in fact, both of you were speaking words that determined future. And she said yes. (laughs) She said yes. What a very little and yet very life-changing word that was. And then when the the preacher pronounced you as husband and wife, (laughs) you knew that life would never be the same. You see, words that determined the future. Words that affect the future. Our tongue determines. Our tongue brings about results. Our tongue affects the future. And and the Proverbs writer writes about this. Proverbs 13, verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 20. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good. And he that hath a perverse tongue falls into mischief. Isn't that interesting? As the mouth says, so the man goes. As your your mouth is, so your life goes. It's interesting. And then 1 Peter 3 verse 10 says this. For he that will love life And see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Our words affect the quality of our life. You know, the Bible is so practical. You want this? Then do this. You don't don't want this? Then don't do this. (laughs) I mean, throughout the Bible, you have scenarios like that all the time. You want to be blessed? Then live this way. And here in this little verse, we have that. 
You want this result? You want to see life good? You want to enjoy life? You want to experience blessing? Then keep your mouth. Keep your tongue. Don't speak nasty things. Speak what is good and right. You want this result? Then do this. Very practical. It seems simple, doesn't it? And yet how hard it is. But the tongue determines. Now, let us just very briefly consider another very sobering dimension to this. Not only does the tongue determine future in your own personal life, but the words that we say have the power to affect others. To affect the future in other lives around us. Recently I noted in one of our local newspapers, a certain psychologist was quoted as saying, certain words have overwhelmingly negative consequences to children. I found that interesting. Certain words have overwhelmingly negative consequences to children. The article was about children. Let me say they have overwhelmingly negative, negative responses to Uh, consequences to adults as well. And we could talk about this a while, but we won't this morning. But no doubt you know of individuals who have struggled and struggled all their life in various ways because of verbal abuse they received as a youngster. I say our words determine, our words affect the future, and the life, not only of our own, but those around us. The Proverbs writer also says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. May God help us to speak wonderful words of life into the lives of those around us. And then I note that the tongue is disobedient. The tongue is disobedient. We find that in verses 7 and 8. We read that the tongue can no man tame. I found it interesting to note that even in James's day, they must have had zoos, and they must have had animal shows, And they must have had their own version of (laughs) SeaWorld. I don't know, but it it appears like it because he writes in verse 7 that every kind of beast and birds and serpents and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed to mankind. He said, this is happening. This is no surprise. So I don't know how that all was. It would be interesting. But it appears like that was happening. You see, you can tame the fiercest and the meanest And the deadliest creatures by teaching them to obey you. You can teach them those bears, those grizzly bears, or or whatever it is, those killer sharks, or you name it. You can teach them to go, and they'll go. And come, and they'll come. And and go fetch this, and they'll fetch it. Bring it back. And, And we've seen shows like that. Perhaps you have. With obedience comes control. But the tongue is another story altogether. You see, the tongue 
will never be better than the heart is. The tongue will never be better than the heart is. And so you can try to hide something. Perhaps you've been reading something that you ought not read. Perhaps you've been listening to something that you ought not listen to. Perhaps you've been looking to things that you ought not look at. And you think, well, I'll just tuck this away. And in a sense, you'll tell your tongue, tongue, that's a secret between you and me. Let's keep this quiet. But the tongue doesn't obey. (laughs) The tongue actually will betray. You can think of Peter. Thinking of Easter weekend. Think of Peter when he was standing around that fire. And he thought no one would know who he was. He was in a safe place with strangers, right? And yet someone said, I know who you are. Your tongue betrays you. Your speech betrayeth you. I say you can work out a little deal with your tongue, but your tongue is disobedient. But the tongue can no man tame. But once again, (laughs) I think we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I'll mention it again. I don't think James is trying to make this look like a hopeless picture. Oh no, there's nothing we can do. We're lost. I don't think it's meant to sound as hopeless as it looks. Because shining through this bleak phrase, we see the answer for our terrible tongue. No, no man, no woman can tame the tongue But God can. God can tame the tongue with the help of His Holy Spirit. We can control it with the help of God. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to training the tongue, the Christian's resolve must be, not I, but Christ in me. God, I need your help. I cannot do this. I need your help in this. Let me just go on a, on a little, well, normally we call them bunny trails, but I guess today it's an Easter bunny trail, isn't it? <laughs> Thinking about things that look hopeless, and yet embedded in that hopelessness is hope that comes shining through. We think here about, about this phrase here, but the, but the tongue can no man tame. And yet, and yet there's a light that's shining through that. No, we can't, but God can. I also think of there on that, on that, that hillside where those three crosses were. I think of what a hopeless picture that was to those men and women that were standing there. It, it's all over, they said probably. I mean, there's Jesus. He's dead. That, that was the miracle man. He could do anything. And I, I can imagine that even those people were tempted to think of what some were saying. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Ha ha, what's going on now? And there was probably some believers there that were tempted to think that and join in that pity party or that, or not a pity party as much as, as accusation and, and onslaughts. It looks so bleak. It looked like it was all over. Life was was hopeless. 
And yet, in the midst of that blackness, literally, in the midst of that blackness, we could say, shone a bright light, the brightest light that has ever shone upon mankind, and that is the gift of salvation. Our sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord. And yet, it came out of that time of hopelessness in that time of darkness, when all looked to be lost. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Moving along, the tongue is dangerous. Verse 8 says, The tongue is an unruly evil. The carnal tongue is always restless. The carnal tongue never settles down. It's always ready to strike. It's always ready and quick to defend itself. And if it's challenged, things oftentimes get ugly quick. That's the carnal tongue. And perhaps what makes the tongue so dangerous, or one of the things that makes the tongue so dangerous is that it is so impulsive. It is ever quick to protect itself. It's always watching out for that big eye, you could say. And when it feels the least bit threatened, it will lash out with words that just come natural. Sharp words that wound. Instead of words that have been thought through carefully. Instead of words that have been that have been sent through that powerful filter of the Holy Spirit. Someone has said, the tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. It's a dangerous tool. Keep in mind, though, that the tongue is just simply reporting on the conditions of the heart. We must consider that throughout all of this. The tongue is just simply reporting on the condition of the heart. Recently, we got a flyer in the mail from one of our food distributors, Walnut Creek Foods out of Ohio, and in each one of those flyers, uh, the owner of that company writes a little short devotional, you could say, food for thought, as he calls it. In the last one of those, he wrote a little something that I felt went along well here. As we think about the tongue being dangerous, how it's sharp, how it wounds. He was usually the first to be in trouble. It was not because of evil intent on Peter's part. He had an impulsive nature that too often did not pause to consider consequences of his actions. Peter and his friends saw the detachment of Roman soldiers approaching, carrying blazing torches and swinging lanterns. They were coming to arrest Jesus. And the play of shadow and light in the dark night caused a terrifying chaos. Jesus, though, calmly identified himself and willingly surrendered. As this was taking place, Peter's hand went to his sword. Before anyone could react, he swung and sliced off the right ear of the high priest's servant. It has been noted, but not proven, that Peter, holding the sword in his right hand, may have attacked from behind since it is almost impossible to inflict such an injury while facing an opponent. Injuring an unarmed man from behind, 
this was not an act of courage. And then the writer goes on to say, I've done the same. I've attacked an unarmed, unsuspecting victim from behind. My sword was a snide remark intended to hurt. Jesus immediately healed the servant's ear, but I did not have the miracle of instant healing of the harm I caused. Apologies alone do not heal wounds caused by words. However, the continued story of Jesus' arrest and cruel execution resulted in the miracle of resurrection on Easter morning. That resurrection brought us hope. Both Peter and I are forgiven and received second chances. Praise the Lord for that. Right on the heels of our dangerous tongue comes our deadly tongue. The tongue is deadly. Once again, verse 8. Our text says that the tongue is full of deadly poison. Now, we already noted in the previous message about the destructive nature of the tongue. It is a fire. I know James writes that. He doesn't write, the tongue is kind of like a fire. No, he says, the tongue is a fire. And fire always destroys something. It always does. It always destroys something. Well, except the fire in the burning bush, huh? But, yeah. The carnal tongue is no different. The carnal tongue, it tears down people. It burns up relationships. It rips apart churches. It kills the joy in the home. It always destroys something. And now James gives us a very, well, another very disturbing word picture here. And in my words, it's the picture of a skull and a crossbones. We're thinking of poison, poison. The tongue is full of deadly poison. Death. When we think of poison, we think of death. You know, we don't play around with poison. We tell our children that. You know, we put, put rat poison out in the cabin. Don't you mess with that. It'll kill you. <laughs> you know, we're really blunt about it. It's just terrible stuff. And, you know, we don't put poison out in the cabin to make the mice sick on their stomachs. No, we, we put it out there to kill them. We want them out, dead, done. And so the purpose of poison is not just to make someone not feel good. It's not to make someone, something. It's not to make something feel sick. It's to kill something. And then James here, in his very straightforward style writes that we have in our mouth a part that when it's not controlled, it is full of poison, and therefore it is deadly, and if it is not handled with care, it is able to inject deadly venom with every bite we take. That's our tongue. That's the carnal tongue. Full of deadly poison. Now, it is worth noting that the word poison is used only two times in the whole New Testament. Here in James chapter 3, and also in Romans chapter 3. And I'll let you look at that another point. But, it's only mentioned 
two times in the whole New Testament, and both times it is in relation to our speech. Relation to our speech. Dear people, I find that very sobering. I mean, of all the things in the New Testament that the word poison could be used to describe, it is reserved to describe our speech. The words that we say, poison. May God help us to handle our tongues with godly care. And then I note another dynamic of the tongue is that it is divided. The tongue is divided. We're going to note this here in verses 9 through 12. There's an old Indian saying that goes like this. White man speaks with forked tongue. Perhaps you've heard it. White man speaks with forked tongue. And I understand that this saying originated back in the 1690s during a war between France and the Iroquois Indians. And the French army, in that, in that battle, the French army invited the Iroquois Indians to come have a peace conference. And when the Iroquois Indians showed up for the peace conference, the French army killed them, slaughtered most all of them, captured the rest. And so the saying came to mean deliberately saying one thing and meaning another. Or being hypocritical. Well, we all know that the Apostle James wasn't an Indian. However, in essence though, that's exactly what he's saying. White man speaks with forked tongue. Or, today sometimes we refer to speaking out of both sides of your mouth. It's, it's the same picture. Saying one thing but meaning another. Now, let's look here at verses 9 through 12. Therewith, or with the tongue, we bless God, even the Father, and with the tongue we curse men, which are made after, after the similitude of God. Or we could say, we curse men who are made in God's very likeness, with the same small part of the body. We bless God, and we curse men who are made in God's very likeness. Now, let me just, I'm going to make some comments as we go here, but let me just say there that <laughs> that truth alone should, should cause us to restrain our tongue from cursing people, from speaking ill of people, realizing that they are made in the image of God. They reflect the likeness of God. Hold your tongue. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? And the emphatic answer to both of those is no. They can't do that. They don't do that. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. James writes here of inconsistencies, of contradictions, and you could say even impossibilities in nature. These things don't happen. They don't happen in nature. And he says they ought not happen in our lives either. 
just as foreign as that is to how God designed nature to be, it should be just as foreign to us to speak like that with our tongues. God did not design us to speak like that with our tongues. Just very briefly, some illustrations of of a divided tongue today. Perhaps we come to church, and in our church service, we sing great songs of worship, songs of faith, songs of commitment, and we pray. We get down on our knees and we pray, or whatever mode we choose. We pray to God, and we seem to be religious, as James says earlier. That's part of church, right? And then... After church, we leave, and on the way home or around the dinner table, what is wrong with that person? I mean, why would they ever do such a thing? That's stupid. Or, that preacher is ridiculous. I mean, you you, you fill in the blanks. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made in the likeness of God. Or we sit down at the table. Children, listen up. Wake up. We can sit down at the table before a meal. And we can say, dear God, thank you so much for this good food. Thank you for providing it for us. Thank you so much. Amen. Who made that? Yuck! I ain't going to eat any of that. And so on and so forth. You know, it doesn't happen just in our house, I'm sure. (laughs) We're talking about a divided tongue. White man speak with forked tongue, saying one thing and yet meaning another. James says, and I agree, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. We're thinking about dynamics of the tongue, and we have clearly seen the problem in these verses. Verses 1 through 12, the tongue is terrible. The tongue is Very troubling. But we are not left without hope. (laughs) There is an answer. This is so beautiful. There is an answer. And so, cheer up, my brother and sister. Let's look at it. Uh, Let's note verses 13 through 18. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And let me just pause there for a moment. You want to be wise? James says, prove it by the way you live your life. Now, we know that that, verse, that that word conversation has to do with how you live your life. That's not how we use it today as much as that's how they used it then. But I find it very fascinating that that word conversation, the way we use it today, is about our speech. And so, we can look at it two ways. You want to be wise? Prove it by the way you live your life. But in the context of our tongue, prove it by how you speak. Prove it by how you... Actually, no. We wouldn't have to say prove it. It will be revealed, right? Isn't that more consistent with what we've been saying in these messages? It will be revealed. Your wisdom will be revealed in how you live your life and how you speak your words. Verse 14, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Can't hide it anyway. This wisdom descendeth not from above, 
but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I noted in verse 17 that this wisdom that is from above is expressed through the use of our tongue. Note note those those, uh, expressions it uses. This wisdom is pure. Think about these words in relation to the words that we say. You know, that's how we relate to people, right? Through our words. That's number one how we relate to people. We speak to them. Every day we're speaking to people. That's where it's at. So, the wisdom that is from above is pure, it's peaceable, think about your words, gentle, easy to be entreated, it's full of mercy, merciful words, good fruits, fruits that are are good, words that are nice, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Think about it in that way. The wisdom that is from above is expressed in the quality of the words that we speak to one another. The answer for the tongue is found in passionately pursuing the wisdom that comes from above. And I note here, the tongue reveals which kind of wisdom is controlling a certain person. The tongue reveals which kind of wisdom. Okay, case in point. Maybe you don't really know a certain person at all. Maybe you don't know anything about them. But you walk up to them and you start a conversation. Just get them talking and you will find out very soon what or who is calling the shots in their life. You will find out very soon which wisdom they are tapped into. Is it the wisdom that is down here or the wisdom that is up here? You will find that out through their speech, through their conversation. What is important to them? It reveals their life. It reveals priority. Now, I said that the answer for the tongue is found in passionately pursuing the wisdom that is from above. But dear people, it all starts with a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. No, no man and no woman can tame the tongue, but God can. God can tame it. And and I don't know where you're at this morning exactly in this, but maybe you find yourself in Romans chapter 7 when it comes to your tongue. Maybe you find yourself in that state where you just try and try and try and try to do it right and to say the right thing. And you know you have a problem and you just can't seem to find consistent victory and you feel like giving up, and the more you try, the worse it is. And ah, and you, you know, as the verse says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Perhaps that's how you find yourself sometimes when it comes to your speech. And let me just tell you that as long as that is your method, you will not find consistent victory. You will not. The answer is found 
in, in letting go and letting God is giving it to God, giving your problem to God, saying, God, I can't do this. I've tried and tried and tried, and I just can't do it. But I need your help. And to claim the power of the Holy Spirit to help you and to sanctify your tongue. And He will do it. God is faithful as you are earnestly desiring that. You know, Jesus gave His very life on that horrible cross so that you and I could have our sins forgiven, so that our hearts could be washed as white as snow. And then He rose triumphantly from the grave so that we, through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, can walk in newness of life so that we can live in victory over the flesh. Dear people, our tongue can be controlled through the power of God. Praise the Lord. There is hope. There is victory to be had. But it all starts with knowing Christ. And the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of His resurrection. What could be more thrilling than to know and experience the very power of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ alive and well within us? What could be more thrilling to have that work, that power in our life? But yet it is possible. Turn yet as we close here to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and the Apostle Paul writes some very encouraging words as it relates to the power that is available to you and I through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 17, and here's Paul's prayer for the people and for us, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, and that ye may know what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and that ye may know what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. That's power. The Apostle Paul says, we can know that, not just know about it, but we can experience that. That is available to us today. That power, the same power that, that God exerted in Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and set Him on the throne with God the Father, that same power is available to us today as we fight the battles of life, as we fight the flesh. And Paul writes here that it is an exceedingly great and mighty power. You know, I believe that there is no one truth that will have greater power over us when we believe it than the truth that Christ has risen from the dead. There is no one truth, I say, that will have greater power over us when we believe it than the truth that Christ has risen from the dead. It is this truth that helps us live in victory in the midst of a fallen and wicked world. We can walk in victory. Let me leave you with this thought. When your tongue is powered with resurrection power, you will be able to say 
much more by saying less. <laughs> Think about that. When your tongue is powered with resurrection power, you will be able to say much more by saying less. Think about that. Let's bow our heads for prayer.